1: In this episode, we have Tony Treach on the podcast. We cover what to research when looking for good areas to spot and stalk whitetails, techniques for spot and white whitetails, calling from the ground, and much more. I hope you enjoy the show. You are listening to Tales from the Field, presented by Outdoor Edge. Stories. Tips, tactics, and in-depth conversations coming to you from industry leaders. Let's get into the show. Hey, Tony, thanks so much for taking the time out today to hop on the Outdoor Edge podcast.
2: Uh, thanks for having me, Zach. I'm available anytime.
1: I, I always really enjoy talking with you. Um, I, I just... Personally, I learned so much from you and your experience and all the adventures that you go on every year. Because you're, I, I mean, you go on so many. You are such, you have such a, a well-rounded, uh, you know, variety of knowledge that I could probably talk to you all day to the point where you'd block my number. You wouldn't want to talk to me anymore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want to go that far.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, Tony. Like I said, I I think. Um not everyone spot and stalks whitetails, you know, and, and not everyone is calling them from the ground and things like that. And I know you do a fair bit of that and, and you have quite a lot of success. And I think, you know, personally, I think that would just be a really great kind of kind of topic to to focus our conversation on and just discuss because, I've hunted a little bit from the ground, you know, not near as much as you have, but man, is it fun! You know, when you rattle a little bit and you look over and you're like, "Holy crap, here they come!" <laughs> this is working.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's definitely uh, it'll get your blood pumping when when a big old buck, you know, pins his ears back and starts coming into it. Nothing <laughs> else like it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and you know, versus, I mean, because obviously calling elk is fun, but one thing that I've noticed um, is is if you start calling in a whitetail it seems like you're i mean i there's sometimes i hunt elk in the wide open sagebrush country but um you know and some of that like crp type stuff and things like that you watch that buck sometimes come for a long ways <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have all this time to think about it i guess
2: <laughs> yeah you gotta let not let it get in your head that's for sure
1: right right so Kind of from the beginning, you know, when you, you know, cause you've been doing it for a couple of years now, uh, you know, hunting them from the ground and things like that. So when you first decided this was what you were going to do as far as hunting whitetails, um, what what exactly were you looking for? I mean, as far as the type of terrain that is going to be conducive for you to be able to spot and stalk whitetails and call them from the ground. I mean, because obviously there's a huge variety that whitetails live in. Um, mm-hmm. So what, what kind of terrain do you kind of – did you focus on and look for when it came time to doing your research? Well –
2: what what actually got it all started was uh just basically the deer behavior like we you know we were hunting an area that was more more wide open than we were used to and uh the deer weren't using what little timber that we had available to us they were actually using more of the the washouts and the and the deep grass and the weedy areas and uh crp fields to to move around in. so kind of we were forced to change if we wanted to kill anything and uh it's definitely evolved over the years uh, I, I think I took my first one from the ground probably about eight years ago and it didn't have the decoy set up now and uh, that's absolutely a you know a, a deal center but um, the training basically the, the train has to be open enough that you can see them bed if you can't see them bed um, you' you're, you're, you're gonna be strictly calling and it's not nearly as effective if you can find any type of high point in and, and watch them bed that's that's they're they're gonna you're gonna be able to kill them so you got to look for terrain that isn't completely flat or if it is maybe there's you know some type of uh, object you can get up on and in, in in glass but you got to be able to see them if you can't can't find them you know you, you won't be able to uh it's gonna be really tough to kill them so i look for terrain that that has uh you know rolling hills big deep washouts spots i can I can glass them up for them, um, but you know, deep grass, deep weeds, uh, whole fields that have been left over, left to go to, to weed for a couple of years. I mean, those are just magnets for them.
1: Gotcha, that and that to me. Um, until I started seeing whitetails out in that stuff, you know, I, I was I was kind of like, hey, we need to find a creek bottom. You know, there's there's got to uh-huh. be. Whether it be cottonwoods or Russian olives or whatever else, there's got to be water. And then I started seeing the deer out in that stuff, like you're talking. And yeah, there's kind of water, but it's not your traditional looking creek bottoms that that you would tend to focus on come when it comes to whitetail hunting.
2: <laughs> no, they'll, just, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll water at night. They, you, they don't need to have water out there uh, in those you know where where they're bedding during the day.
1: Right. Like, right. So, so basically, it it sounds like kind of in a way that you're finding your success. Uh, it sounds like you watch them bed, and then at that point, you know, what do you, are you moving in and setting up your decoy, and then calling from the ground or trying to intercept them? Sometimes I would assume it changes, but what's yeah. what's kind of next after you've seen them bed?
2: Perfect situation. Uh, well, perfect situation. I guess is he would be alone um but most most all the time when i'm doing this uh it's during the rut and you know i perfect got a doe and a buck bedded down um somewhere where i can get up close enough to them uh, without them seeing me which you know usually isn't a problem you you, you can't walk you end up crawling a lot um it's uh It's, it's hard on your shins and your knees and your forearms because it seems like wherever I do this, these open areas, these, you know, prairie states, they are very, they're just full of little cactus and those little burrs and, but you got to get in, you got to get in tight, um, the tighter, the better, uh, with the decoy. I mean, I should preference that with, if I don't have a decoy, if you don't have one, I would stay back about 40, 50 yards, you know, if, if you're comfortable shooting that far, because, uh, if, when they stand up, if they see you and they don't see a decoy, they're going to be on edge, even if they don't know, quite know what you are. And if you're inside that, you know, 35 and in, the noise of your bow combined with, you know, them being a little on edge is going to cause them to drop the shot. At 40, 40 to 50, 60, they don't – they usually just take – stand or take an arrow. But the, the key is uh, – well, one of the keys is the decoy, Um it has made it so much easier since I've been started incorporating the decoy. And that's probably only been since about the last five years that I've really been using that. So I'll get in close enough, and it really doesn't even matter. Uh, this year's buck, I was, I was sitting about 15 yards away from him, um, waiting for him to stand up. Last year, I was probably 40 yards. But when they stand up, they're going to see the decoy. Uh, if it's windy, I've got the decoy on a ground stake in front of me. If it's not windy, I've got it mounted right to the bow. And I'm usually on my knees in the grass or, you know, it just depends on how tall the, the weeds are. Sometimes this grass is four foot tall, um, but I don't, I, I don't do any calling in this case. If I can see them bed, there's, there's no calling. Um, okay. And I'll just sit, wait, wait, I'll wait them out. Cause they're going to eventually going to stand up to, you know, usually when a, when a buck's got a doe on lockdown, there's no, uh, you know, they, they aren't just going to lay there all day. They're going to get up and move around. She might even try to get away. There might be there's almost always other little bucks coming in and, and sniffing around and he has to run them off. That's when he's going to see a decoy and they get so worked up sometimes that they, you have to literally like flash the decoy and move it uh, even if you're only 20, 30 yards away from him. And, that sounds and it, so invari- much fun. <laughs> invariably he's, he's going to, and by doing this too, he, he he's already stood up for whatever reason. And now he sees you and you are within, yeah, you know, if you got the decoy, I, I suggest getting closer because it, you know, he has to fight or fight and I've yet to see a mature buck, uh, take off, um, based to that decoy and you, they, you could go ahead and draw. They don't even, I mean, the decoy doesn't cover my entire body and they just don't care. Um, they pin their ears back and they're coming to push you away from their dough. And, um, uh, that's the ideal situation. Um, okay. sometimes if you, if you can't see in bed, so let's say, uh, you, they went into a little thicket, and you don't know where they're at. Um, I'm, I'm still not going to call. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay. I'm going to get close enough that I can still see the whole thing, hopefully, and then try to intercept them as they come out. And hopefully, I'll be close enough that when uh, he sees me, that he still has that same fight instinct. But um, the calling is pretty much—it's—it's it's kind of gotten a backseat the last couple of years. The rattling, uh, just because. The other way is so much more effective. I mean, if, if you play all your parts right, it just works every time. The the calling, you know, it's, it's usually if I don't spot anything in the morning uh, that I want to shoot, then I'll go to a couple of areas I know that traditionally hold, you know, mature bucks. And that's when I'll do the calling and the rattling.
1: But uh, Okay. So when you get in close, you know, you mentioned uh, 15 yards and then sometimes 30 yards. Um, Art it does... Does the wind ever? I mean, because obviously the wind is always kind of slightly changing and things like that. Um, so, how long do you do you kind of give it to where you're like, ah, eh, no, the wind is fixing to just screw this whole thing up. I I better back out. I mean, does that happen quite often, or is the wind where you're where you've been doing this fairly consistent throughout the day?
2: I find the uh, most of the Prairie states the wind's pretty consistent and it's always blowing hard, and that's actually key to this. If, if you got a dead calm day uh good luck (laughs) they're gonna they're gonna i mean there's no way to crawl up and close through those weeds without making a bunch of noise um they're gonna they're gonna hear you uh maybe maybe if you got the decoy in front of you and you're just working your way slow they'll they'll think you're a deer but you you hardly ever have to worry about it i mean anybody lives uh, you know in the western midwest uh It's just always windy. It's always blowing and you need that wind. It's going to hide your, your, your uh, sound, but also it's a much more consistent wind than um, say someone who's hunting in the mountains or even the foothills where you've got your thermals and you've got uh, swirling winds because of the, you know, uh, big valleys or canyons um, or even someone say it's hunting Southern Illinois or Iowa, where you've got all these uh, big, uh, wa- you know, uh, for black a better word, what they call them hollers or whatever, you know, like a, just a big valley. Uh, that went swirls like crazy in there. And, um, but you get out there where it's a little more flat in the prairie states and it's very, very consistent. Uh, and I almost, you know, that's another thing that I do, I guess I don't just come in from down straight downwind. I try to quarter into them at least 90 degrees, if not even a more acute angle than that. So that's, you know, they're actually looking away and I'm coming in from maybe 45 degrees behind them into the side and, uh, I mean, if, if, terrain allows, and that's, that's the perfect spot because then they're not looking at you and they can't smell you. You know, if the wind switched just 45 degrees, they're going to smell you, but you know, you just got to risk it. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's usually pretty consistent.
1: Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, with, you know, y- you also mentioned that, uh, sometimes, sometimes the grass itself is four foot tall. Um, when that buck stands up. And if they see your decoy, are you, are you hoping they walk through a small opening in the grass? Are they coming to the decoy and you're shooting them so close that it creates an opening? Like, uh, I mean, I know, I'm pretty sure you shoot iron wills um, Mm -hmm. and there are, you know, certain grasses if there was a little bit in the way of a deer i wouldn't have an issue shooting an iron wheel through it um i don't feel there would be hardly with certain grass i don't feel there would be any deflection um so so how how are you picking and choosing your shot when it comes to being in that thick of grass
2: uh yeah i I actually don't agree i the i think the grass even the slightest grass will change the point of impact for sure i've had uh the closest shot I've ever had on a, a buck was in uh, Montana and grass, and he was bedded down, like head down on the ground, bedded, just sound asleep. And I stuck into nine feet, and there was just a little bit of grass in between us. And I, you know, like that, just kind of like uh, CRP type. Uh, they, they get paid to plant. I think they call it qu- uh, quail border. And uh, that arrow deflected. You know, it, the, the grass was probably two foot in front of them. I was about nine feet, and it deflected two feet. Um, I was able to get a second shot in him. Uh, and, and kill him but I, I couldn't believe how much it's in
1: holy not, it, had, it, had, it, had
2: sense to, it doesn't take much um and i it can be yeah i i, I try not to shoot through anything but what what you'll find a lot of times in that in that tall crp grass is they've been using it a lot they've got trails in there they almost got like little bird um this year the the buck that i shot uh, he as though you couldn't see her from like when i walked up i couldn't see her the whole time all i could see was has the tips of his antlers but you know it's four foot grass behind him he's in about two foot of grass and then it goes back up to four foot she's in a nest that when i walked up there to look where he was standing i, I saw her old bed and it was all hollowed out there was just just dry dirt in there you literally could have stood two feet from her and not seen her holy but smokes two feet, but, but two feet away it was only two foot tall so they got trails they got little areas where they they matted down in there um the, the, when you get the, the big weed fields that's a little bit different because you get different species of weeds and I have had uh, um, probably the biggest buck that I've ever uh, hunted in uh, in Kansas was bedding in uh, a field of old weeds that they hadn't tilled over in a couple of years and I snuck up onto them several times and got I mean I'm literally 10-15 yards away and I, I, didn't, I didn't have a shot and I did not get that buck because I did deflect um, but yeah, that's that's a that's a constant battle. Uh, but as long as it's you know you're better off, or I should say your odds are better in the grass than they are in the weed fields, just because you can usually find, uh, find find like little paths to shoot through almost. Like this year, I mean, I when I I watched them bed down and I you know, kind of marched it where where it was. I was only about a hundred yards away from them the last time I saw them stand up and stretch and lay back down. And I got to about twenty yards, but I had it was it was just solid four foot you know three four foot grass to him. And I but I looked off to the west, and it looked like it. You know, as it got closer to the field, it definitely got shorter. And I swung around there, and I was able to find like you know then I could see his antler tips. I know if I can see his antler tips, uh, or even you know halfway down to his beams when he stands, I'm probably going to have a shot.
1: Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I you know I've only shot through grass gosh, maybe twice. And, Uh and it was the, the deer was standing and it was the very, very, you know, where the blades of grass are probably two and a half foot tall and they get real, real thin. Um, Uh He was literally standing in that. So it wasn't basically the grass was almost touching his body. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I guess oh, yeah. I, I mean I don't know that it, at that point I don't know you're, that you're almost shooting so much through the grass, but um, I haven't ever shot through grass when something was laying, and and I could agree with you there where I could I could definitely um, definitely see deflection and something like that. Um, but yeah, I just I didn't want all the listeners to be like, man, the host is shooting through grass to kill deer. <laughs> no, no, let me let me. No, no, uh, I know you're not. But it, the, you're,
2: uh, the funny thing, you just don't know. That's, that's yeah. the thing. You know, if Imagine if the you know if, if you imagine like an even wall of grass and the broadhead hits it, and it's not an expandable, to where it's going to catch on the uh, on the tabs that open up the blades, and, and it is something a cut on contact, and it's very sharp. Maybe maybe it's going to cut evenly. on you know. Four blades, of, you know, whatever. There's equal amounts of grass on both blade, both sides of it, right? Yeah. So maybe then it does not really change its their direction. But what if it, what if all what if all that grass is on one side of it? Yeah, uh, then
1: it's got you just, to. You just don't know. Yep. You just don't know.
2: So I that, I try not to, you know, if I can control that a variable, I I do I do so. And that's one of the things I just can't control. So.
1: Right. Yeah. No. And I and I agree. And what and what's so hard about that too is is how many times do you have that shot you know you Uh were you worked (laughs) exactly you worked for probably last four to six hours to get into position you waited for probably two hours and then here it is their chances are they're under 30 yards and you're like ah that's that's hardly nothing there it'll make it (laughs) Yeah. so yeah it's it's um i don't know i think it's it's definitely one of those things that that will always be around as long as archery is around <laughs>
2: yep. but, do the best you can is put the odds in your favor
1: yep yep absolutely absolutely so with uh you know y- you found your buck you snuck in there um you mentioned sometimes your decoy is on your bow and sometimes you stake it to the ground so so what what kind of decoy are you are you using and is it you typically a small buck decoy or a doe or do you sometimes change
2: Uh, for whitetails, I stick strictly to the, uh, the buck. Okay. Um, And, uh, you know, in this, some of these same states, I hunt mule deer as well. Uh, with mule deer, I'll use the doe. Uh, it just seems to have the best results. Um, the, uh. Interesting. But it's a heads up. Yeah. The the decoy is made by Heads Up Decoy. Um, they've got all different attachments. One. I think they actually call it their turkey steak, uh, but that's that's the ground steak. And I, I made a homemade version that gets it a little bit further up off the ground, out of the weeds. But uh, then there's a bow mount, and there's a uh, there's like a oh like a really heavy duty, uh, almost like a, a clamp from a set of jumper cables uh, for your truck that uh, they've mounted, so you can clip it onto brush or a cactus or a stick, whatever, and then mount the decoy in that. So uh, cool. but I carry all of them. Just, just, uh, yeah, I've used them all.
1: Have you ever used, uh, you know, and this is a little off topic from hunting, um, hunting whitetails, but maybe you've used it for whitetails too. I don't know. Have you ever used the, the, you know, like the cow decoy when you're stalking close to animals?
2: I have not, but I, the thought has ran through my mind for sure. If, if nothing else, just to cover, get across wide open areas where I, they've kind of got me pinned down and I can't get any closer. But if I could just cover the next hundred yards. I've thought about that. Like, if I could just have a big old cow silhouette, and then once I get out of sight again, drop it and then continue on to get closer. Cause, cause a lot of times it's like, there's just no way to get to them. You know, like maybe they're bending up against private property where you can't come from the other side, or it's just wide open all the way around them. Yeah, I've thought about it. Never done it.
1: Yeah, that I'm the same way because I've filmed for a few people where that's what we used. Um, we, uh, several, I was trying to hold the decoy and film and the wind was blowing probably 35 miles an hour. That was interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. but we, it was crazy. The amount of ground we were able to cover with a cow decoy and the deer not run away. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like, I need to buy one of these apparently. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be in my, uh, my repertoire, uh, you know, my quiver of tools next year.
1: Right. Right. Uh, You know, you obviously mentioned that you don't do a ton of calling from the ground or anything like that anymore. Um, Do you have any experience aside from rattling with, you know, grunting or snort wheezing them in or or doing any of that type uh of calling?
2: Well, it's not that I don't do uh, that much calling anymore. It's just that it's it it's not as effective as just getting in close with that decoy and then letting them see it. But gotcha. uh, if, if I don't, if I don't find anything in the morning that I'm not, that I want to kill, I've got lots of spots that I always hit and uh just run through there and embed in there, but you can't see them. So that, those are the spots I'll set up when I call him. When I call, it's not just rattling. I'm, I'm using grunts. I'm raking brush with the, with the horns. I'm stomping around. I'm free, you know, just thrashing things. Um, and I, in a, in a dire situation, I'll, I'll use a weeze to try to get a buck up out of his bed. Um, I actually tried it this year. Uh, the buck that I ended up killing, uh, he was, uh, I, I snuck in actually three different times on him. And first time I decided not to kill him, um, looking back now, it was probably pretty foolish. Uh, but, I, but he wouldn't get out of the brush. And he was in brush that was over his head when he was rocking around. I couldn't. I didn't have a shot. We were 15 yards away from each other, and he just kept walking back and forth, snort reason at me, and I was snort reasoning at him. <laughs>
1: oh, that sounds and so cool.
2: It was fun. I had a blast, uh, but um, eventually I got a look at him, and I, you know, sometimes those really big old bucks, they, they, their heads were just so damn big. It just kind of... And he looked like he had broken off his G3s. Well, later on, I'd find out they weren't broke. They just kind of palmated out, and they like, looked like little duck feet. Um, that, so... He got cooler and cooler every time I snuck into him but what I'm getting at was uh maybe maybe i'll forget what I was getting at but anyways I when I did finally get in on him um he the the last time too the second time his doe caught me and they bounced off uh but that's when I got a really good look at him and I it was just you know an hour later that I killed him so I watched him bed I got up close I got in on him um like I said I, I saw I had to swing to the west to get you know shorter grass in between us And I hunkered down with a a wall of that tall, really tall grass behind me with short grass in front. It was perfect. I mean, like, I could just see his animal I'm like, if he stands up, he's dead. He's never going to see me because of all the tall grass behind me and the decoy in front of me. And just about that time, the wind switched, and it went from 70 degrees to 35 degrees. And the wind switch, thankfully, was 90, or it was 180 degrees, so he still couldn't smell me. Um, I've never seen that happen down there. And I only had, like, one layer of clothing on. And I just, after about a half hour, I was, I was like, I, I I have to either make this happen now or, or I'm gonna, I have to go, I have to go back to the truck and get more clothes. Like I am just, I am getting numb. <sighs> so I, I, uh, I, I, started snort wheezing at him and every time i do it, he'd turn his head, but he would he just wouldn't get up. He wouldn't get up. And I, you know, and he was not snort wheezing back. He was, he was just facing that dough and just like, he was going to do whatever she was doing and she didn't care about an art buck snort wheezing. And, uh, but that's about the only time, you know, it, as a last resort to get them up out of their bed i'll I'll try it but otherwise uh man the the best thing is is just to be completely silent and surprise them when when they stand up and they see that decoy like holy crap it's within like danger zone and they it forces them to decide right there it's fight time and then they come right to you
1: man I, so a um, couple questions came up right there um, one you mentioned that you bumped the buck or the doe the doe caught you and they, they kind of mm-hmm. took off and then an hour later you shot that deer um, yeah as you know like high country muleys for instance you bump a buck and you might spend the next several days trying to find him um, mm-hmm. yeah or, or never find him <laughs> like, so when you bump that deer and you found them an hour later, I mean, how often does that happen and they they really don't travel that far they just kind of like go a little ways and you're like, oh cool, there they are let's go let's go try it again."
2: She didn't really know what I was she just caught oh, okay uh, you know i had the, I had the decoy in front of me i was I was crawling in, and uh she just didn't like the way it looked i mean you she didn't she didn't run off you know high tail and she just She stood up, walked away from him. He stayed in the bed. She got out about 70 yards. And then she just like, nah, there's something going on over there. I don't like, and she just walked across the cut cornfield and then bedded down on the other side of the field, basically. And then he followed. And that's when I really got a good look at him. And, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I think I'm going to go try to kill him. And then, uh, I lost sight of him a little bit, uh, when they were on the other side, but I just boogied around the perimeter of the field, kept the wind in my, you know, in my advantage and got, uh, got to about 100 yards where i last saw them and i just waited and i'm just standing there waiting for probably 45 minutes maybe a half hour um uh, uh just waiting for that you know because i know they're there right because there's, there's a hill that goes up beyond them and they didn't go up it so i know they're they're in there somewhere and i don't want to just go pushing through that grass without knowing and finally she stood and she starts eating a little grass and then he stands and he's just staring at her and then finally she lays back down and he lays down i'm like all right now i know where they're at and then i moved in
1: game on that's cool. Yeah,
2: and in that case, I didn't even have to crawl. It was actually nice. There was zero crawling for him because um, the grass was so tall. I mean, I just walked up to thirty yards, and that's when I saw that the, the shorter grass to the side. And I mean, I got down, got got low, but I never had to, never had to crawl.
1: Right, uh, with with them standing up and and seeing the the decoy and coming to you, um, how often are you shooting them? You know because they close the own distance for you. How often are you shooting them very, very close? And do you have, do you have frontal shots quite, quite? Cause I mean, much like calling an elk, you know, sometimes yeah. they come right to yeah. you and that's your, here you are, there's an elk at eight yards away and you got a frontal shot. Um, does, does that seem to kind of, kind of happen as well when they see that decoy and they come right to you and that's what you have?
2: It does. Um, and, in, in Garrett Rowe, the owner of Heads Up Decoy, the first time I met him, uh, warned me of that he's like you better be prepared for you know close close shot and don't be surprised if they don't you know don't square off to you or you know, or turn broadside to you um i've i've had several of them that were uh, straight at me i've had there when they get i've had and the only reason i found this out was because i didn't have a shot because of the brush but i've had them come come to me and just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming and eventually, they're hoping to scare you off, right? They don't want to fight. That's the last resort. So eventually, they're going to, when they get maybe fifteen to ten yards or some, you know, close, close enough that they think if they're they're trying to show themselves off to you to scare you away, right? They'll they will they will turn broadside and kind of almost like circle around you, um, and but I've had them come as close as I mean I I've literally shot uh, using this I've shot does doing this too I shot a doe this year at about three feet Holy she literally. <laughs> She literally was, um, I mean, I, I couldn't really extend my bow arm and then draw. I had to kind of draw and push my bow out at the same time. Otherwise I, I, the broadhead, I mean, she could have just reached out and smelled it. But she came right up to the, the decoy and was just like, I you know, I had eggs tags. Well, it was great. Um, <laughs> and, uh, just, I mean, zip through, I'm, I'm, there's, I'm almost, well, I got that quivalizer in front of my bow too. So that kind of keeps them about, you know, two foot away, you know, and I, I know I wasn't bumping her with that, but, uh. She was between three and four foot from from my bow hand for sure. Yeah, but I also crap. I shot a buck in Montana a couple of years ago it was the exact same way. Well, that was a muley, but it was you know sub four feet. And and I, I mean they give you time to draw too. I mean he's literally there's there's brush around us, but uh, they're just in a trance and they just don't they believe their eyes and they cannot believe that they're you know whatever's that whatever that is moving right behind it. The decoy can't. Can't be real because there's I'm looking right at a dough. Right. A, a buck or whatever. And um uh, I mean they'll kind of flinch when you start to move, but then every time they just eat the arrow.
1: Huh. Yes. Um one one thing I noticed, uh, a friend of mine, he kind of mentioned the exact same thing. He said, He's like, What you can get away with with a decoy on your bow, he's he said it's absolutely insane. He's like, You literally get away with murder. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like i shot it he said you know his story he shot a deer in South Dakota and uh, he said the de because I had the decoy on my bow it gave me time to range dial my sight draw back take my time and shoot and uh-huh. and that just doesn't happen especially especially if you're popping over the top of a ridge line or something like that you know they see you rather than seeing a decoy and, and I could imagine in a scenario like that especially too you know you come over that hill and there's you have a decoy on your bow that They focus on it rather than you, which is very important. Um, uh, I was going to ask you something else about the decoy and yeah, I don't remember what it was, but
2: (laughs) it gets worse every year, Zach. I know you're a young guy, but just, just wait till you're my age. You forget things constantly.
1: (laughs) Oh gosh. Uh, Yeah. No, I, I have no idea what it was that I was going to ask you. Um, hmm. well on a, on a deer, when you go, cause an elk, in my opinion, you kind of have that line where the real dark Brown meets the light Brown and hmm. it's like, Hmm, that's, pretty close to where I need to aim for my frontal shot. Um yeah. what what do you kind of use for your reference? I mean, obviously you've shot a lot of deer so you probably just kind of instinctively know now where to aim. Um but mm-hmm. what uh you know the first deer or something like that that you shot frontal what what did you kind of use as your reference?
2: So my whole childhood my dad, you know, he subscribed to like every deer hunt magazine there was and he would give me a marker and when he was done reading them and he's like i want you to mark on every picture of every deer where you'd shoot it and and that's and he we'd talk about it and i just literally go through all the magazines and i mark it and what what i learned you know and what he'd always preach is you know there's you know you got the heart below the lungs and you got all kinds of good goodies between the two of them so if you call that area right above the heart below the lungs uh and maybe you know as far as to forward to back, you know, right behind the, sh- the front leg, that's kind of your hub, that's your center. And whatever angle you're shooting at them, because you remember when most of our sh- shots that we were taking back then, when he was teaching me this were tree stand shots, right. You want when the center of the when, when the arrow passes through the center of that buck uh, or the arrow, I should say the arrow needs to pass through that center hub. So if, if you're up steeper and tree, you've got to aim up, you know, higher up on that side, if you're, you know, it's never really happened but if, if one was up on a hill above you you'd have to aim lower you, you know you, you don't aim for the just the middle of the top third at all the time you have right. to, you have to think about uh how, how is that arrow going to go through the center axis of their chest well this, it's the same thing with the front too uh rib bones in front of a leg of a white buck even a mature buck are no match for a broadhead i mean if you hit if you hit that thicker part uh of the shoulder blade. Yes. You're going to have problems. Um, even with some of the better heavier duty arrows, uh, but the ribs are no problem at all. So, um, if he's quartering to me, I'll put it in front of his sh- shoulder, you know, between his, you know, s- halfway between his sternum and the front of his shoulder every day, all day. And usually when I do that, the arrow either blows out the other hip on the opposite side or it's lodged in because it hit the femur. Um, there's usually no problem. The only, the only problem I've ever had, uh, and it's, it's been a long time. Um, I try to stay away from it now is that, uh, below the, the scapula, as that gets closer to the, uh, the first knuckle that, that part of that, that part of that bone is pretty tough. Um, and if you don't hit it just right, you know, I've, I've seen it stop, up you know, decently heavier. I, I, I guess after that happened to me last, I did go up to a 500 plus green arrow, but I know there are guys that don't, don't really believe in the, the heavier arrows, but, um, yeah, I, yeah. A frontal of a white tail is not a problem as long as you stay away from that thicker part of the shoulder bone.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. And I, that, I have always kind of thought of it as aiming for your exit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that is, that has served me, you know, cause I, same thing, whether you're above them, below them, they're facing you, they're facing away from you. Um, where do you truly want the arrow to exit? And that is and then like, OK, well, I want to text it right there. OK, where do I need to aim for that to happen? And then mm-hmm. much, much like you just said, then it goes through that center spot that you want it to go through, you know? Yep. Yep. So, well, Tony, if you could give um, if you could give somebody that has never hunted whitetails on the ground, one beginner tip, um, aside from purchasing a decoy. <laughs> yeah. Aside from that, um, you know, nobody that has ever done it before, where would you suggest that, you know, a good starting point would be for them?
2: Boy, there's a lot of them. Uh, location's probably the number one. Um, like I said, it really doesn't work, uh, unless you can, you're in an area where you can typically watch the deer bed. Right. That's going to be the, the number one thing. Uh, you can get away with cheap binoculars if you have to. You can get away with a cheap spotty scope if you have to. You can get away with crappy boots and crappy camo and a crappy bow. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, believe me, I write for Rockslide. I'm a big fan of gear. I'm a, I'm a gear junkie. But all that stuff doesn't matter if the, if the bucks aren't there or if you can't see them bed. Um, in order for this to work, you have to be able to, to, to know where they're bedding and to be able to sneak in on them. That's, that's absolutely key
1: gotcha yeah and that makes perfect sense i mean um and i mean that that even goes over to spot and stock uh, mule deer obviously right Mm -hmm. i mean if if you can't locate one bedding then you're gonna have to figure out how to do some sort of interception because stalking to them while they're feeding is it's just harder you know
2: yeah, If you can't see them bed and they're bedding in an area, even if it's more open, but there's just a couple of, you know, where they're bedding is thicker and you can't see them, you're probably better off uh, uh, figuring out what trail they're using in, going in and out of there and and setting, even if, you know, on the ground or in a tree, no matter what, you're probably better off hunting that way. Um, I hunt this way just because the areas I've, you know, I, 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 well, I look for areas now that I can do it because it's more fun. But uh, in the beginning, it was just a matter of need, it was necess- necessity, you know, that that's how it started. So, but it, it does have to be the exact right, you know, set of circumstances. I've got other States in the Midwest that I hunt. Um, and there's, I'd be just wasting my time if I tried to do this.
1: Right. Right. Yep. I could, I could 100% see it, it, uh, working in certain situations. I mean, but, but like literally everything we talked about today works in a certain situation. That's why it's helpful to learn and get better at all of them, you know, cause yes. like you said, what do you do when you, when you don't see a buck that you want to shoot, you go down and you start calling and and get in the thicker stuff and things like that. And and if you don't know how to do that, um, well then you're probably not going to go try it, but you always got to try it and learn. I mean that there's, there's only one way to get better at hunting and that's blow all the stocks and then you slowly get better. (laughs) Great. Well, sweet Tony. Well, I appreciate, uh, you taking the time out of your day to hop on the outdoor edge podcast I had a lot of fun chatting with you as always, and I I learned a lot. I think think you shared a lot of information that can help people become better at Spot and Stalking Whitetails. And um, I think people are really going to enjoy the podcast.
2: I appreciate the opportunity, Zach. It's always fun to catch up.
1: Thank you for listening in. Be sure to like comment, subscribe, and share. We hope to have you tuning in for the next episode.